Let's talk about the term scope creep. That's a little bit of project management speak that essentially boils down to taking on way too much work from a client that your company's not getting compensated for. Not too fun, right? Well, it's even less fun when it's your employer doing it to you. As we get going with today's episode, let's take a second and think of all the things you do that aren't in your job description. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Welcome back. This is Brian. And this is Andy. And I have done zero preparation for today, by the way. So side note, uh, I might try to go back and find like facts and figures to go along with what we're talking about and put them in afterwards. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what kind of hard research I'm going to like. Four out of 10 people say that when they sit in for their job, it's not what they had signed up for. I don't, I don't have any hard facts on that. You said you don't have any facts either. I don't. Well, let's, well, let's just intro the topic then. Have the episode be whatever the episode is going to be. How about that? Does that work for okay. you? I'm fine with it. We all wear a lot of hats on the job these days. Times are tough. A lot is moving and shaking. And that's just the way things are. But do they really have to be that way? And is there any risk in taking on more and more that we never agreed to when we took our job? The more we let our job descriptions expand unofficially, the more likely we're going to be putting in overtime to make sure it happens. We're likely also getting pretty stressed trying to keep that one additional plate spinning above us. And let's face it, when they all come crashing down, and they will at some point, management won't see the untenable situation they put you in. They'll just see you and a bunch of broken glass. So how do we push back against these constantly expanding job descriptions and keep our jobs focused and manageable? So Andy mentioned something the last time we all met up, which was about a potential promotion that he was looking at, but uh, it included some responsibilities that you weren't really into. And that's definitely something to consider. And if anybody is weighing the pros and cons of a promotion themselves. We actually talked about this at length in an episode called The Darker Side of Getting Promoted, and that was back on October 21st. But at least, Andy, you knew what you were getting into, and you knew what the differences were based on the job role that you were given. I think a much bigger issue is the people who don't have that warning. People who were given a job were thought they were doing a certain job, but it turns out that they're doing a whole lot more than that job description entailed. Right. And whenever you're going into a job search, we need to keep in mind that a job description isn't a contract. So in other words, in other words it's not a legally binding document. That's actually a good question because, again, this is the first job, the current job I'm in, that I've really worked with international coworkers. And you bring up an interesting point about this not being a contract because a lot of the coworkers that we have that are overseas – uh, Europe and the UK, they do live and die by job contracts. I got to say the US maybe isn't the, the super minority here, but at least as far as European counterparts go, we're kind of odd in the sense that we're this at-will enigma that you, you sign up for a job, have no guarantees about 
really anything about it. The only guarantee you have is the guarantee that you can get let go at any time. How, how common are job contracts, in your experience on the recruiting side, uh, how common are contracts for American workers? Or are they at I've all? I've never seen one. I've, I've never seen a job yeah. contract at all. And even if you're looking you know, from a pure 1099 contractor perspective, they're so vague. So there isn't really, it's not like a step-by-step manual. We don't have really any step-by-step manuals when it, when it comes to what your duties are going to, or what your duties will entail when it comes to a given position. I don't think we will really have to delve too deeply into what this issue is. If I had to guess the majority of people out there have had this happen to them or have it happen to them right now. And I think if we lengthen the time span enough over the length of an entire career, it's pretty much near everybody's going to face this issue of taking on more responsibilities than was billed when they got hired. Is that fair? That's more than fair. That's accurate. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. it's, it's, it's almost a 10 out of 10 when you break it down. Now, my question is, why does this happen? Can we wax philosophical for a minute? Why is it so hard for companies to come up with a job description and stick to it for a role? Well, most of the job descriptions... Um, they're basically boilerplate, copy and paste, and that's what HR will go out there and publish. That that's why you know my job as a recruiter, whenever I talk to a hiring manager, is to get more specifics. I want to get more behind the job description. I'll give you a perfect example. We're hiring for a position that the person would be able, would be brought aboard, and they would be managing West Coast accounts, meaning that their days that they're or their, their work days might look a lot different, right? Since they're three hours behind us, if we're hiring somebody from the East Coast or whatever the case is. I make sure I always say that up front, right? Because the last thing I want as a recruiter that's putting somebody in place to work for a hiring manager that's my colleague is either at offer stage or a month into the job, someone saying, hey, I didn't know that this was going to be involved with West Coast accounts. So, you know, I'm kind of packing my bags and, and that's it. I think that goes to the whole throw anything up against the wall to see what sticks is what a lot of um, recruiters will go out there and do. Just throw anything against the wall to see what sticks. Um, you know what that reminds me of? What's that? It's like those really ritzy restaurants where there's not prices on the menu. It's like, oh, I have no idea what I'm getting into with this fish, but it's not going to be pretty, right? Have you been? It's kind of the same thing. Have you been to one of those ritzy restaurants where there aren't prices on the menu? Because I've never been somewhere where there isn't a price on the menu. I didn't. I'm not as. Uh, I'm not as highfalutin as you are, Brian. I've definitely been to bars where the cocktail menu did not have prices. It's like, what the sh- am I getting into right now? And it's, wow. it's, uh, it's, it's, n- they, they never omit the prices because they're cheap. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not like they're trying to save you a buck and want you to be pleasantly surprised at the end. No, it's, they're expensive. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, we're not going to really give you all the details until you agree. And shame on you for not asking what you didn't know to ask about. Now, going back to the example that I had just given, she eventually just took her name out of consideration after the second round of interviews. And what she had told me is that from a work-life balance perspective, that the job wouldn't work for her. And I completely understand why, right? But it was only because I was honest up front and the hiring manager was honest up front that she was able to know that information up front. So whenever we're going into job interviews, I, I definitely think that well, I definitely know I, I can't stand think and I can't stand just I'm going to make that my 2022 resolution. I don't like Not I thinking. Think. No, I, hate I th- thinking. I think that if you 
dot, dot, dot. He said, I just want to do push-ups and not think anymore. Right. Well, you know what I mean, right? Let's. Uh, I do. Let, let's not, listen, I don't know what your major is, but your minor must have been semantics. So, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Hilarious. So, now you made me lose my train of thought. Can you kind of steer this ship back, <laughs> right it on course, Captain? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You, you, uh, no, actually, I forgot, what the hell are we talking about? Pittsburgh, applicant from Pittsburgh. I was upfront and honest about where, oh, so... There are questions that you absolutely need to ask up front and don't ever be afraid to ask for something in writing, whether it's an email or what have you. So everything we're talking about is kind of details around the job and the the way it's conducted, right? But what I'm concerned about is not necessarily the details around the job, but the details of the actual job itself. And I'll I'll give an example from my own work. I'm a consultant. My role is I lead client engagements to talk about things that are wrong. I help the team figure out how to make them right. And that's roadmaps. The, huh? You're you're a roadmapper, if you will. Sure. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. It's it's let's identify what the challenge is and come up with a solution. I might not even be involved in the actual execution of that solution, but it's it's coming up with uh, how to fix a problem is, is what I do. That's my core job description. But what do I actually do with my time? You know, at any given day, I'm spending some of my time developing marketing content. So I write a lot of blogs. I do some white papers. I put together some sales materials. I get involved in sales. I'll work with prospects to see if we're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for us and, and get them on board. Uh, I do a lot of internal training of our own people. And somehow I got involved in client relationship management technology. So doing things like analytics and reporting. I do a whole lot of things. I have a lot of hats on. But a lot of them are not in my actual role description. That's the problem for me is a lot of these companies have this really romantic view of, you know, we hire rock stars who can come in and tackle any issue and they're versatile and they're they're great. And I hate it because it sets up this unreasonable expectation that leadership might be bad at planning what they need. And it's the lower level employees that fill in the gaps and save the day. And that puts a lot of stress on people who thought they knew what they were getting into when they took a job. And it's nothing like that at the end of the day, at the end of the first day. Right. And we live in a world of mergers, private equity injections, people trying to go IPO. So companies expect their employees to be able to adapt. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you start sprinkling in things like what you're referring to as, hey, I was brought in to do one thing and I'm doing something entirely different. Um, that's why I personally don't really have a problem with people having multiple jobs on a resume. You know, that old, what was that old adage? You never want your resume more than two pages. Well, I, I don't expect that at all. Um, what's, is that like, what's average, like a page and a half, two pages? I mean, it's, it's honestly not, I, I don't even pay attention to it. I just pay attention to what the person does if they have the experience that we're looking for, and then I take it from there. I couldn't even tell you how many pages a resume has. I'm going to give you, maybe it's a little bit taboo, but I I rarely could tell you what's on a job description at any given time. Like I know a couple of bullet points, but I always make sure that I 
speak with the hiring manager so I can write up a page of responsibilities that are beyond the job description that I can communicate that over with any candidate or applicant that I have because job descriptions have become just, you know, so redundant. Anybody can Google what somebody's supposed to do, but a good recruiter will be able to tell you what you're really supposed to do. Uh, not that well, that's, it would be... that's what I want to break into it's and, and you kind of you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier on which is that it sounds like people are taking a lazy boilerplate approach and what aside from that what what are the reasons that people are so bad about making a job description and then actually having that be the job why is that so difficult and I know we're not neither of us are, are you know experts in this field but what what are your thoughts what are your gut reactions laziness. Yeah. Laziness. Yeah. Laziness. It's absolute laziness. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I wish I could give you, I wish I could give you a, a more in-depth answer. That's maybe a little bit more philosophical or a little bit more analytical, but at the end of the day, it comes down to laziness. Well, I see three things, three things are the top of my mind that are the issue. And one I, I half feel like is an excuse. I'm going to start with it though. Cause it's recent and relevant is a lot of moving and shaking in the job market these days. Obviously, great resignation had a great toll on a lot of companies. And if a company is down a certain number of people, it's going to be easier to have people fill in for them than it is to hire. People are, are not people. Companies are slow to respond to changes. Personnel changes are no different. And I think the bigger problem is if I have a team of 10 and one leaves, it's so easy to say, oh, you're only doing 10% more rest of the team. And then I don't hire somebody. And now that 10% is permanently attached to the people and it just keeps going and going. And that's just not tenable, right? You have people that are going to be overly stressed and then they're going to leave. And then now it's an extra 20% and then more people leave. And sooner than later, people are wearing multiple hats because there's no headcount and nobody's gotten replaced yet or ever. Right. That's, that's, that's a, that's an issue. Right. Exactly. And I had, recruited, uh, I was you know, going to start recruiting for a position within our organization. And I spoke with the hiring manager and everything was so wishy-washy. And I just said that I can't communicate what you want this person to do. How am I going to go ahead and be able to recruit for it? It doesn't make any sense. You can't take the job rec more seriously than the hiring person does. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can't have the, and I know, listen, with what I do, a lot of what I do is gut feeling, right? There's certain things I know that when I'm speaking with a candidate, I can say to myself, if this person starts, they're going to last less than a year. I I know that. I, I instinctually know that. Well, on the flip side, I know too, if a hiring manager is not going to be able to really bring anybody on their team. And when somebody can't communicate with me what the roles and responsibilities are, then, I mean, I'm just, uh, me, me personally, I'm just not even going to bother. And I'm not going to go ahead and make something up because it's my reputation and it's also the company's reputation. I, I just don't really have any time for that. That's the first reason. But like I said, I feel like it's an excuse because this issue didn't start with the pandemic. It didn't start with the great resignation. It's been this way as long back as I've been working. And I think there's really a a two-part issue at play here. The first is how good is the company at really planning things and strategy development? And I think, Andy, this kind of ties in with what you were talking about. Some companies are really good at knowing what their vision is, knowing what their core mission is. I would say a great deal, many more companies are not good at that. So if a company is not great at planning, 
they're also probably not great at planning their resources either. So that's one element. Mm-hmm. And I think the other element is how dynamic, how shifting is what the company produces. So if you have a company that has made the same widget for 50 years, they know what their process is. They know their operations. It's not really much guesswork. But if you're working in, say, a tech field where you might get a new piece of tech in, maybe you acquired a new company, maybe you just started a new project out of R&D, the less uh, less long running, the less traditional a company is, of course, they're not going to know what resources they need because that need is going to change every couple quarters, every couple years. So those two things, I think, are in my opinion, kind of a recipe for a disaster. You have a company that is bad at planning and exists in an industry that is ever-changing. I'm going to say say goodbye to valuable role descriptions at all. So there's companies that have this issue of being very bad about knowing their roles well enough to structure them accordingly. Mm-hmm. But the the kicker for me is they don't view it as a bad thing. They look at themselves and say, man, we're this dynamic, agile, lean team, and you know we can do any- we can turn on a dime, we can do anything. And it's not the case because it's the employees who, who bear that burden. If you don't even recognize what you're doing is a bad thing, of course you're not going to try to solve it. So it's really incumbent on all of us to recognize this issue and try to put a stop to it wherever we can, however we can in our own jobs. Yeah, absolutely. That's 100% spot on. Hit the nail right on the head. Hollow Notes wrote a song about that called, you're out of touch. I'm out of time. Right. If we ever had budget, I would totally (laughs) get rights to some of the, cause you, you have a song for basically every episode and I would get the rights and that would be like the outgoing music at the end of the episode. Oh yeah. But we're too poor for that. So. Like the like the mailman I deliver. You ever heard that song? You ever heard that song, The Mailman? There you go again. I'm so happy. I'm so gay. I come each and every day. I'm your mailman. I don't need keys. I have never heard yeah. that. What is that even from? I don't know. I've heard it though. So we've outlined the problem at this point, but what I really want to do is start talking about what solutions are. Andy, you started this a little bit early in the conversation, but let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we do if we find ourselves in this position of our job description, not really matching what we do. things that I would encourage anybody that's listening to do is we always talk about doing research on a company. If you're applying to a company that's grown through mergers and acquisitions, make sure that whoever you speak with has, number one, a firm idea of what the company's visions and values are, but also make sure that matches up with every single person you speak with during the interview process. And it might seem like it's a lot of work, but it's really not. You always want to make sure everybody's vision aligns the explanation of the past, where they're at currently in the present, and where they're looking to be in the future. If it doesn't align, that's a red flag. And that's actually a relatively easy question to ask, right? You're talking about asking salary numbers, and that can feel really uncomfortable, but it's a fairly innocuous thing to say, hey, have you guys grown through M&A or, or what's your strategy been? Because that's not a hardball question. Nobody's going to look at that 
odd. They're going to look at it like you're interested in their history. So it's an easy question to ask, and there's a lot of detail and a lot of value in the answer. So that should always be a question you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes it's human nature when you're going through the interview process, you have the adrenaline kicking in and you got along great with this person and this hiring manager really liked you and the salary is great. So we forget to ask those questions. We kind of just want to get through the job interview and we want to get the offer and jump on board, etc. But in that Delta, there are a lot of things that you can miss if you're not taking a detail oriented approach. Now, this is all great info for somebody who's looking for a job now. But again, the big problem for me, or at least the problem that I see is it's not just people that are looking for a new job. It's people who have been in a job deal with this. It's one thing to turn down a company that you're interviewing with because it's not a fit after you recognize that. It's a different thing to say, I've been here. I'm, I don't want to say at home because I don't ever want to view a job as a home, but I'm comfortable where I am. But now I have this thing I got to deal with, this expanding job role that I didn't ask for and I don't really want. I think the solve there is to either ask to go back to what you were doing before or go look for an organization that's going to put you in a position to be doing what you want to do. But I assume that's probably pretty systemic throughout the corporate landscape. Um, I don't know if you've gone through that, if you are going through that, uh, meaning you personally, Brian, but that seems to be a trend that I'm encountering an awful lot. I will tell you one anecdote from my own life that I think is relevant here because I think it has some solves in it. A lot of my work is with clients at not necessarily the most senior level, but at a project strategy level. A lot of that client work is driven by scopes of work. So signed agreements I have with a client about what should and should not happen. Now, when I have a client who deviates from that, one of two things is bound to occur. First, it's a little tiny change. They say, hey, you know, can we speed this up by a few days or can we add in this little bit more work just to make this a little bit easier for our people to absorb this or that tiny little requests that in and of themselves don't seem like big deals right? One of two things can happen at this point. One is I say, you know what? Yeah, sure. It's an extra hour's worth of work out of the 200 that you hired us for. No big deal. I'll just throw it on the pile of things to do. Or I can be a jerk and say, nah, I'm not doing it. You want me to do that? Let's get a change order. You pay me some more money and we get it done for you. Now that second one sounds like a crappy thing to do, right? They're a client of mine. I should be trying to do a good job for them. But here's what happens if you go the nice route and acquiesce to any small request. They don't stop with that. They keep going. They'll ask for more and more bigger and bigger things. It's the whole you give them an inch and they take a mile thing from you. It really has to be a foot down kind of thing. So let me go back to the first job I had out of college. I think it's a useful example here in a way to approach a shifting role description to either your advantage or maybe skirting it entirely. I started my career in sales and not long after I started, I shifted to more operations and technology. Huge difference. That was a good move for me in the end because it gave me a different career trajectory. I wasn't good at sales. I didn't really enjoy sales that much, but I really did enjoy the role that I grew into at that company. So that was an example of where a shifting role was valuable, but it was only valuable because I had a heart to heart with my boss and said, look, 
I would love to help you in this arena. I think I'm adding value, but I want to do it full time. I don't want this to be a side gig. I certainly don't want it to add more than 40 hours to my work week because, again, work-life balance is important. If you view this extra task I'm doing as valuable, as critical, then it needs to have its own role in and of itself. And that's a hard conversation to have with a superior, but I think it's the direction that a lot of people need to go. If you find yourself facing all these additional responsibilities that you weren't aware of when you took a job or that grew into your job over the years, take a step back, reflect on it, and have a heart-to-heart with your boss. What's the value here? Why am I doing this? And if it's important enough that I have to have it as part of my responsibilities, it needs to be important enough to have me dedicate myself to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you want to do it diplomatically, though. The last thing you want to do is be undiplomatic about it and have your neck basically on the line. Um, I don't know. And I'm going to I'm going to give some advice that I don't know how applicable it is. It might just be me and it might be our company. I, I, I can be a bit surly sometimes and I'm, I'm blunt. Um, if I have an opinion, I give it. If uh, something happens and I have feelings about it, I'm probably nine out of 10 times going to voice those feelings. And I've been in this situation where it was, Hey, Brian, we need you to do this other thing. You know, we had some resources leave and we need you to help out in this other area. And I've been very upfront and saying, look, I have in my 40 hour work week, maybe eight hours I can dedicate to this other thing for the next three months. Here's the list of things you want. That's going to take about 30 hours a week. So you tell me what portion of that you deem as necessary, and that's what I'll do in eight hours. But if you're expecting me to do this full time, you're going to need to transition me to a different role. It's not necessarily a comfortable conversation, but it's one that I've had. And at the end of the day, they hired somebody to do that role. So I didn't have to continue flexing myself and extending my own hours. I could just focus on what I was there to actually do. Well, there you go. If you don't ask, the answer is always no, right? That, well, that's my, that's my logic. It comes from a sales background where you always should be striving. Again, everything is negotiations, not just sales. Life is a series of negotiations. And a good negotiator is always going to chase the word no. You don't know the boundaries of what you're negotiating until you hear that word no. And it's no different here. And in fact, your boss is thinking the same thing because your boss is going to try to load you up with all these other added responsibilities until you say no. Because until you do, they're thinking, well, obviously they have the time or they're willing to make the time to do it. Why should they pull back on that? So yes, it's, it's you need to hear the word no and you need to give the word no. Yeah, you know, it's something that I want to kind of circle back to. So we're talking about uh, hybrid remote work, and that is a massively huge hot button for everybody that I speak with. There's a company that came to us for a hiring need, and one of the prerequisites was that somebody needs to be from a certain area. And I I just looked at it, and I just said, well, I... Why? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I looked at it, and I said, well, we can help you, but understand you are just cutting yourself off. I mean, cutting off your nose to spite your face on this. Because I would look at that as an applicant and just say, wow, so this organization is obviously very rigid, not very adaptable. No, thank you. I would take a hard pass. 
So that's it, what I don't get because you, you do have a lot of jobs out there that are being listed as remote. And then by the time people get through the hiring process as well, it's remote right now, but we're all going 100% back to the office at the end of the year. So, well, that wasn't written anywhere in the job description. Well, that's where it's up to the applicant and why we're having this conversation right now. Oh, thank you. That needs to be addressed up front. Thank you for letting me know what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, don't, don't be surly, Brian. <laughs> I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm just saying that's why we're having this conversation right now. So anybody that's listening for themselves or can spread the word, get all of that in writing and get all of that up front. And if somebody is absolutely reluctant to be able to do that, it's not the organization that you want to be working for. And if you're an organization out there that's looking for people to come into the office, I mean, it's just you're handicapping yourself. You're handicapping yourself from other applicants and other candidates. You're doing yourself a disservice. The last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up today is the idea of a lateral move. And it's not directly on topic, but I think it's in the vicinity enough that it's relevant to this discussion. What I mean by that is we're all familiar with promotions where I get a job above my current one. I hopefully get a good pay bump to boot versus a lateral move where I might be doing something similar, but on a different team, or my role might be very different, but I'm not going up, and I'm probably not getting a pay bump either. So, Andy, from your opinion, what what you think about that, what are your thoughts on lateral transitions? Would you take one? How do you feel about them? I wouldn't take a lateral transition, and here's the, re- here's the reason why. Well, number one, you're going to have more responsibilities, especially when it comes to a lateral promotion. Number two... You're not going to be compensated for having more of those responsibilities put on your plate. From that point, you're going to be seen as somebody because I've seen it happen. I mean, I, I've been a part. I've been a part of these conversations where I've seen someone just say, well, you know, we gave them more responsibilities. We didn't pay them anything. And that individual is basically looked upon as, I mean, I don't want to say a dumpster where you can just dump everything in their lap, but kind of close to that. Where it's, oh, that person will take on more responsibility. That person will, you know, um, we won't have to worry about paying them any extra. So where it seems like a valiant thing to do from the standpoint of an employee, oftentimes it doesn't lead to bigger and better. It it just doesn't. So the moral of the story, promotion good, lateral move, rethink what it's going to net you in the next five, 10 years. Absolutely. You need to, it's going to, it needs to be able to net you something more upfront. I would say no. I mean, if they're willing to put more responsibility on your plate, your organization has to be willing to be be able to pay you more. I tend to agree with you. I I guess the example I gave of myself earlier, one could consider a lateral move where I, I moved from that sales role into that tech role. And it wasn't immediately necessarily a promotion. Um, but it led to one very quickly. Uh, so I guess there are times where a lateral move could make sense, but I guess if your organization is offering you a lateral move and painting it as any kind of advancement, I would counter them by saying, look, I'll make a lateral move if you can show me a definite career path that not only is distinctly written and can be realized within a certain amount of time, but is also significantly better than the career path I'm on right now. There has to be a reason for a lateral move. It can't just be for the sake of making that move. Yeah, I mean, I mean, unless your goal is to make your uh, shareholders more money, which I guess a publicly traded company, you know, you always keep shareholders in mind, but you've got to be able to keep yourself in mind too because I know about you and I, we have shareholders at home that invest in uh, Brian and Andy Inc. 
and they need to be well compensated also. I never thought about family in that regard, but I actually really love the way you put that. That's a really good point, right? Like your family are stakeholders in the company of you. Mm-hmm. I like it. Absolutely. Hey, well, we I, I smell a t-shirt. There you go. Let's print them off. Let's I smell them. some merchandise. Can John design t-shirts? I know he can write music. He seems to be a creative type. I don't think he does any art. Oh, come on. He's got to have that things. brain. That art brain. He can, like I said, if a guy can write music, I'm sure he can design some pretty nice designs. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time. How now, Brown?